Uh, well, guys, we're doing this series called Questioning Jesus, and it's not that we have questions for him. It's that the greatest teacher of all time often taught by using questions. And some of those questions uh, make us go, hmm, and some of those questions make us go, ooh. Uh, this morning is one of those questions that makes you go, ooh. Uh, I'm just warning you in advance. And so I'm in Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read uh, through verse 12, and then we're going we're gonna to skip a little bit, and I'll pick up at the end of the chapter, uh, because I want you to kind of get the big picture. And this is what the Word of God says, Matthew chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says this, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either, because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus kind of launches in uh, to really what takes up a good chunk of Matthew 23 is, is his argument against the Pharisees for why they are actually hypocrites. Uh, there's seven statements that all begin with woes. We'll get into a few of those today. Uh, but then he kind of wraps it up uh, with this, starting verse 33. He says, snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I'm sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. Uh, then it, it, it moves along. Now in the story, Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, our sixth question this morning, a tough one. Jesus uh, kind of puts this question to the Pharisees, but it's one I think we need to uh, answer ourselves as well. Here it is, uh, Matthew twenty-three thirty-three. How can you escape being condemned to hell? How can you escape being condemned to hell? I told you, it's a woo question, right? It's woo. And there's three things I want to share with you this morning, and here is the first. I want you to know that the Bible teaches that we are all guilty of sin and therefore deserving of hell. Alright? That we are all guilty of sin and therefore deserving of hell. Now, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees 
for their rejection of him as Messiah. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, John chapter 3 says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You're right. Uh, John 3.16, God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son. John 3.17 says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But if you read the rest of that verse, but it says that those that have rejected him have already been condemned by their own disbelief. And so what Jesus is doing out here, you know, as he's condemning the Pharisees, he's doing so because they've already rejected him. And this starts all the way back in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus confronts the Pharisees to their face. In Matthew chapter 16, he warns his disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees and how it, it, it messes up everything. He's, he talks about leaven and just a little bit of leaven makes, makes the whole, uh, you know, a little bit of yeast makes everything rise. And he says, like, they're teaching, man, it's not good. And, and then here now, Jesus um, confronts them publicly and he calls them out for their hypocrisy. He wants the crowds to know. He wants everyone to know. Like, like this isn't just his disciples. He's already confronted them face to face. Now he's, he's telling everybody, listen, uh, don't follow these guys. Now you need to listen to what they teach when they teach you the ways most of those kind of... But you don't need to do what they do because they're hypocrites. And listen, they've rejected... They've rejected me, and, and they have condemned themselves to hell. All right? So that's a truth. It's a big deal. And here's what we need to know. It's easy to look at the Pharisees, we'll talk about in a second, and think, well, these guys are horrible. These are just the bad guys. Every story I read in the Bible, they're always the bad guy. There's the bad guy. There's the bad guy. But here's the deal. The Bible actually says, well, we're all kind of that way, right? I mean, this is the heart of the gospel. We, we, we're all born rejecting God. Right? That's, that's who we are. In fact, Romans 3.23 says uh, that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. The problem is that boat is actually kind of floating on, uh, you know, we wanted to get extra biblical, uh, kind of a, a lake of fire, and it's sinking. And that's not good, right? Uh, it goes on, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Right? The wages of sin is death. Like that's, that's not a good thing. So we're all in the same boat, but it's not a cool place where the boat's heading. Right? It's heading to death. And now that doesn't mean that when you sin, you're going to die physically, though sometimes you do. Right? Sometimes that happens. But what it does mean uh, is this. It means that when we die, as Hebrews says, that we're all going to face judgment. Right? And so this is Hebrews uh, 9.27. It says, And just as it's appointed for people to die once... And after that face judgment, and the Bible says depending on that judgment, we either go to be with God, we live with God forever, or we, 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 we go into the absence of God forever, which is called hell. And eventually the Bible says that the end destination uh, is what's called a second death. It's eternal agony apart from God, not feeling his presence. That means you don't feel his love means you don't feel his forgiveness. means that you don't get his life. Uh, and that's why we, we call that death. That is terrible. Right? That's terrible. And you just need to know that. Right? That's, that's the truth. So, so I, I want you to hear me. I'm not screaming. I'm not yelling. I'm not beating the pulpit. I'm just saying the reality of the Bible, if we believe the Bible to be true, and I do wholeheartedly, that um, when you die, there's, there's one of two destinations you get to go. You get to go and you get to be with God forever in a wonderful place called heaven where God fulfills every need you have and things you didn't even know you had. And it, it, it's great. And there, God rewards all the faithful. 
um, there, uh, you, depending on, on how you lived your life. I don't know how that reward system works. Evidently, uh, you get to be in charge of things. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know what in heaven you, you specifically want to be in charge of, uh, but maybe it's, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but I, I think, man, that's got to be pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't, does Moses get to call out the stars? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how that works, but I, I know there's, there's, there's authority that God uh, is, is going to hand over. There's going to be blessings there. And the greatest blessing, of course, be God himself, seeing Jesus face to face, but then also seeing all the people that the Lord used our lives to impact that are there with us. And so, uh, so we, it, it's going to be great if we're with him. But if we're not, man, the Bible doesn't paint a pretty picture this way. So we just need to know that. So we kind of begin here with this truth. If you're, if you're looking at the question, how can you escape being condemned to hell? You have to start here with the truth that we're all guilty of sin and therefore deserving of hell. Right? The second thing we need to know as we try to answer this question and wrestle with it is, is this, that no amount of religious activity can rescue us from this reality. Right? No amount of religious activity can rescue us from this reality. We start with the truth that we're all guilty of sin, deserving of hell. Then we have to move on to this truth that no amount of religious activity can rescue us from the reality of hell. That's tough, man. So I want to burst your bubbles a little bit this morning. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, um, but we have a tendency to kind of think of ourselves saying, I'm a pretty good person, right? I'm, I'm not a bad person. I mean, we, we kind of look at other people. Uh, I was a youth minister for 10 years. This was so constant in youth groups, right? I talked to kids like, hey, you need to invite somebody to church. You need to bring them with you. And they're like, ah, oh, they're not very good person. Because we, we do that. We do that as adults, too. We kind of think, of people say, well, I'm better. I'm, I'm a better person than they are. So let me burst your biblical bubble for a second as we tend to think of the Pharisees as the enemies. Okay? So here it is. Ready? The Pharisees were better than you. They were better than me. Religiously speaking, morally speaking, on the scale of, of good and evil, these guys were killing us. I mean, they were. Uh, even in the seven woes, as Jesus is condemning them for a lack of faith in Him, he, He's saying, you do this, you do this, you do this, yet your heart is so far away from God. You haven't seen me, you've rejected me, right? Like He's saying that. But even in His condemnation of them, we see all their good works. We see all the good things they did. Look, in, in uh, uh, verse 5, he, he says, man, they do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and, and, and lengthen their tassels. You say, what's a, what's, what on earth is a phylactery? Here's a picture of it. Uh, there you go. It, it's a box that uh, Jewish men would tie on their head. Uh, in that box, uh, there, were, there, were, there were pieces of Hebrew Scripture. Um, by the way, most of the Scriptures in that box were Scriptures they had memorized. And they would tie on this box as they went to the temple three times a day to pray. Three times a day. So let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Do you set aside three distinct moments a day that you go to the temple to pray to God? Right? And when you go, do you go with His Word having been memorized and stored away in your heart? Right? Is that something you do? For most Christians, the answer is no. No, it is not. Right? Let's look, look some more. In verse 15, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, hear me clearly. Jesus is condemning them for their lack of faith in, in Him, who is the Messiah, but, but He's also noting how far they go to make a disciple. 
Right? These guys, in order to make one disciple, one follower, who they're teaching him the wrong thing, right? The follower is going to be condemned to the same place that they are. Uh, but, but they're going over land and over sea to tell one person. Just makes me think, who, who, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? How far are you going? Are you even going across the street? Are you even going... Across the office space? Are you even, like, like, like who, are, who are we discipling, right? Who are we discipling? In, in verse 23, again, in, in these woes of Jesus, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, and yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. He said, man, listen, you tithe, and you don't just tithe a tenth of your income, man. You guys are going out into your garden, and you bring a tenth of a little spice. Like you're, you're doing it to, to the letter of the law. So I'd ask you, how's your giving? Right? How is it? And again, Jesus is condemning them for their attitude, but He's also pointing out like, all, the, all the boxes that they're checking. And so this is what I'm going to say to you. And this is kind of the point of the passage. Those boxes don't cut it, right? Because God's standard isn't good. We have a tendency, I know when I wasn't a a believer, I had this tendency to kind of think that life in the end was like a seesaw. And the goal of life was to be a little better than you needed to be, right? And then God would accept you. I did more good than bad, right? Did more good than bad. The problem is that's not the entrance level. To get into heaven, it's not for good people. Because the Pharisees are better than you. And they're better than me. To get into heaven, the entrance level is a perfect person. Because God is holy and righteous and just. And no one can be in His presence who's not. And that's this grave problem for us because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we need? We need to become holy. And that's never going to happen by religious ritual. It's never going to happen by checking boxes because it didn't work for the Pharisees. And if it didn't work for the Pharisees who are better than you and better than me, then it will never work for us. We need a Savior. It's what we need. Which brings us kind of to the last point. That there is only one way to avoid being condemned to hell. And He stands before you today. And He stands before you today. The question, how can you escape being condemned to hell? To get the answer to the question, we have to read past it. We've got to read and study past the seven woes. We've got to read past what seems like the end of a section in our Americanized Bibles that have subheadings. Because there's a new subheading, right? And that, that new subheading says, Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. And so we, we think, well, this is a new story, Right? But in that quote-unquote news story, we find the answer to our question. Jesus has asked them, how can you escape being condemned to hell? And we actually find the answer if we read on. Uh, Verse 37 through 39 says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus is, is, is lamenting here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I want you to hear his heart. Oh, how I've longed for you to come. Oh, how I've longed to bring you in. 
right? But, but listen to this. But you were not willing. It's not that he wasn't willing. He says, you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying, me. That's what he's saying. How can you escape being condemned to hell? Don't miss it. The answer is me, Jesus says. I'm how you escape being condemned to hell. And I've been standing before you this entire time. And you have chosen to reject me. You weren't willing to accept me. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And here's the deal. This Jesus, the way, the solution to their sin problem. These, these guys are supposed to know the law. They know that a Messiah is coming, but, but they're not thinking about the kingdom of God. They're thinking about their kingdom of Israel. See, they wanted the Messiah to elevate them in this life. Some of us want that too. We want God to elevate our status and our position. We want God to eliminate our problems. We want God to fix our health. We want God to bring us a person. We want God, I mean, you fill in the blank and fill in the blank and fill in the blank. We're out and we're looking for all these things all the time. What we're failing to realize is we have a huge sin problem. And what we need more than anything else is a solution to that sin problem and God has provided that. And, and, and listen, that, that, that solution was standing before the Pharisees the entire time. And they were not condemned to hell because Jesus came to condemn them. They were condemned because there was only one way by which we could be saved. Only one name under heaven and earth by which man could be saved. And that name is Jesus. They rejected Jesus. That's where the condemnation came from. And here's what I want you to know, is just as that Savior, Jesus, stood before them, so He stands before us. And here's what the Word says, Revelation 3.20, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So what I'm saying to you today is that same Jesus stands before you, just as He stood before them. That same solution to sin stands before you just as it stood before them. And so therefore, you and I have the same decision to make that they did. Will we accept this Jesus? Will we be willing to? Or will we reject the only solution to our sin problem? And, and the best way I can explain it is like this. Here's the problem if I broke it down for you. As I said, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I uh, talk to kids or teens or even adults sometimes, I'm talking to mainly adults uh, right now, I'll, I'll kind of just share with you. I do this visual illustration. So God is holy and perfect and he cannot have anything that's uh, not perfect in his presence. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of the presence of God. Okay? They could not be in the presence of God. Now listen, where God is, his life is because God is life. Right? So, so, so where God is, eternal life is. God's eternal. So when Adam and Eve could no longer be in his presence, they, they, they died. They were going to physically die. That's what God had said. Don't eat from this tree or you'll surely die. They didn't believe that. They tested those limits. They failed miserably. They were going to die. Okay? 
And so where God is, his life is, if, if we can't be in God's presence, we cannot have eternal life. And so the Bible says, David writes, who, who may ascend the hill of the Lord then? Who, who can stand in his holy place, in, in his perfect presence? And, and, and the answer really is, is no one except, David says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so when I look down at my hands, uh, man, and gotten, I, you know, maybe they've always been this way. I, I don't know if you look at My hands are pretty weathered these days, right? And, uh, and it's cold. Can you guys, if you look at your hand for a moment, would you just look down? I want you to see every uh, little mark on your hand. How many would say that they see at least 100 marks on their hand? Anybody? See at least 100 marks. Anybody think there's probably over that on your hand if you looked at every, probably over that, right? Um, I want you to imagine that every one of those marks is a scar from something that you've done. Not a good thing. Right? See, we tend to think of sin in the sense of, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm good. I'm good. I'm covered. The problem is sin is not that way. That's not how sin works. So, so this thought in life, well, I can outdo the bad that I've done. No, because you still have the scars. You following me? And, and so God is, is perfect. He's, he's not just good. That's not the standard to get in. So it's not like, well, well, listen, it's all healed. It's all healed now. I'm fine. No, because God has to have a clean set. It has to be perfect. And, and so there's no amount of any kind of religion that you or I can do. I can't pray 50 times a day. I can't walk a, a, a thousand old ladies across the street. I can't just stop cussing and suddenly be okay. I can't just, like, like that's not how it works. So nothing I do can, can fix this. Alright? But there is one, the Bible says, who came and lived a perfect life in our place. And his name is Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And the Bible says if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus, that he actually came in order to cover us, to give unto us his perfection. Um, so I'll take my Bible and say, so, so I want you to imagine this kind of represents Jesus. Uh, it's a good illustration because Jesus is the word of God, uh, fully revealed to us. The Bible is, is God's revelation of himself to man. Jesus is the perfect picture of that. So I'll say, so Jesus came. And if we'll believe in him, if we'll accept him, if we're willing to accept, he's the only way. There's nothing I can do to make myself right. Then what he'll do is he'll come into our life and he'll cover us. And when God looks down from heaven, instead of seeing all my scars and all my sin, right? Because the only way into his presence, David said, clean hands and pure heart. And so now, when God looks down, he sees the perfect nature of his son Jesus covering us and he says my son come and be with me forever in heaven and we now have access to the very heart of God it's a simple illustration but I think it's of huge importance so uh, our question is how can we escape being condemned to hell and here's how we can do that ready uh, this is our application this morning number one we have to admit our guilt we have to admit our guilt We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what is sin? It's any time I do something that doesn't please the Lord. It's any time I say something that doesn't please the Lord. How are we doing this week so far? We already messed that up. Amen. Anybody do that this morning? Come on. It's church Sunday. See, on church Sunday, we say something that doesn't please the Lord. Get your butt down here right now. Ah! Happens, right? Right? Just say something ugly. How could you not have put that out? I told you you were supposed to do that. We'd yell at each other. Oh, my gosh. Ah. I, that'd be cool. Wouldn't it be cool if there was some kind of like t-shirt that you could wear and when you showed up to church it would replay everything that happened in your house that morning to get there? Wouldn't that be awesome? We'd all feel like, oh, it happened to you too. Amen. All right, high five. All right, uh, just kind of feel the sense of belonging, right? Um, yeah, 
So it's anytime I do something that doesn't please God, anytime I say something that doesn't please God, Jesus takes it further. He says, it's anytime you think something that doesn't please God, now I'm really in trouble. It's, man, I had some thoughts this week. And finally, it's anytime I don't do something that God wants me to do that would naturally please Him. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't like my neighbor. God says that I'm supposed to look out for widows and orphans and I'm so worried about my own personal security that I care not about homeless people or people that are uh, in, in greater need than what I have. I'm worried about my own security. And we, we, don't, we don't love well. We don't love people well. That's why the gospel is not going across the world and the globe like it, it should. And so, so those things would all be called sin. And so first, first and foremost, I have to admit, that's me, God. That's me. I have to look in a spiritual mirror and go, yes, God, that's me. I'm, man, for, I'm such a wreck. We start there. The second thing we have to do is we have to lay down our religion. I'm going to define religion as all the things we try to do to be right with God. Right? This is all the ways we try to, to cover up our own scars, which we can't do. These are all the things I do to try to make myself better. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'll, I'll do this a little more. I'll show up at church and I'll start reading my Bible. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm not going to drink as much. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do that. And all those things, like we're, we're a self-help uh, people, right? We're trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves good enough for God. And I hate to tell you, none of that stuff's going to work, man. The Pharisees, they had, they had bigger phylacteries and longer tassels. They prayed better than you did. They went further than you did to make a convert. They gave more than you did. Like, religiously speaking, they were better than you. And Jesus is going, that's not the bar. That's not good enough. That won't save you. I'm just here to say, like religion, that, that it, it, there's, there's no way for religion to save you because religion is powerless to make you perfect. Can I say that again? Religion is powerless to make you perfect. So what am I telling you? Am I telling you to stop going to church? No. I'm telling you to stop doing that to try to please God. We're called to worship God. We're called to thank God. It, it needs to come from a different place. You guys following me? It needs to come from a different source. I don't go to church so that my good can outweigh my bad. I go to church because of what God has done for me in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because He has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so I go to church consistently to thank God for that. I open my Bible and I read it so that I can be reminded of a God that loves me and has pursued me in the person of His own Son. And I cry out, God, thank You. I'm not worthy. I'll live my life for You because of what You've done for me. That's the purpose of the Word. And it transforms the way that I think about myself, about how the world is working, about my fellow man, and mostly about God. And I see God as good, as a Father that's prepared a way for me, that wants to use me for His kingdom and His cause. Everything is different because of the Gospel. So I lay down all those things, all those ways I'm trying to be better. I accept that Christ has finished it for my sake. And it just makes me say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Every day, every moment. It changes the decisions I make, the way that I live, the way that I use my time. Everything now comes out of a place of gratitude. Alright? It's a big deal. Which brings me to the last thing we do. So we willingly accept this Jesus. Willingly accept this Jesus. This is hard in our world because boy do we want to be good. 
want to be good. Boy, do we want to earn it. I, but I, you, you know how many people I preach this grace to and they go, it can't be that easy. Man, it can't be that easy. There's, there's got to be more. Well, let me tell you, you, you may think that receiving grace is easy, but it ain't, right? Because like last time somebody wanted to help you, what do you say? No, I'm fine, I got it. Because we don't want to receive help. And that is the problem with the gospel, right? Religious people, people that think themselves pretty good, don't really see their need, or they think that they've got it. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, you don't have it. Tell you people at home, you don't have it. There's no sense that you could have it. You can't get close to having it. There's nothing you can do to come close to the perfection that God demands. You don't have it. You need help. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. That's the answer. And boy, even as Christians, even as people that at one point declared, oh God, I need you. I need your son Jesus. I'm such a sinner. Jesus, I need you. Boy, isn't it easy to turn from that into a Pharisee? Hey God, I've got this. I don't need any help. And that's why this question is so important. Today, I want you to know that Jesus, the solution to your sin problem, stands before you just like He stood before them. And I want you to know that there is a choice. I know that makes some people theologically uncomfortable. Um, I believe wholeheartedly um, in predestination. I believe it with all my heart. I also believe uh, equally in man's ability to choose. Joshua tells the Israelites, choose this day whom you're gonna ser- who you're going to serve, right? We're, we're, we're told to walk in the Spirit. That's a daily choice that we get to make. And so we, just like them, we get to choose. Are we willingly going to accept Jesus as the only way to heaven? Or are we going to keep trying to do this on our own? Which is exhausting, by the way. Amen? It's exhausting trying to be a great Christian, isn't it? This morning, I pray that you will choose to willingly, completely, and totally just trust Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, for all those here this morning that have been trying to do it on their own and by themselves, I pray this morning that they would turn to your son Jesus wholly and completely. For anyone here that has not trusted him, I pray this prayer would ring in their heart and in their soul, and they would cry it out to you individually on their own. Dear Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I've tried for too long to make myself right. This morning I've realized how short that falls of perfection. King Jesus, this morning I willingly accept that you died so that I could be made righteous and perfect. Thank you. Come into my life. Be in control of me from now on. You will be my king, you will be my savior, you will be the one that stands in my defense. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.